The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bubba and the Bat Flip, episode 148. Starting our positional reviews of the previews of the preview for the reviews for the 2023 fantasy baseball season. Going to go over catchers and corner infield this week, hit the middle infield and other positions next week, and get you ready for major draft season, which is just around the corner because it's almost March already, which is crazy to think about. But we are here. It is upon us. In order to do all this, you can find me on Twitter at BDintric and my co-host is always on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Toby, how are we doing, my friend? I'm doing well, Bubba. Um, you know, there's a noticeable change for those of you who are watching us on YouTube right now in my appearance because for the first time all offseason, I am wearing a baseball hat. <laughs> I have worn my winter hat to every show, but now this is real. This is, it's go time. We're, not, we're not joking around anymore. This is, this is it. Zit. And I'm wearing I'm wearing uh the hat of the team that I think is gonna win the World Series this year. But I'm not gonna tell you who it is if you're listening on the podcast. So you'll have to find out. Yep, it's a great hat too. Great hat. Really, really big fan of that hat. So um you'll have to check it out and see what it's all about. But um, for sure, yeah. I emoji, you know? I emoji. I emoji. Yeah, it's like, yeah. oh, look at this. Yeah, it's, Whoa. It's, it's, it's pretty crazy. Pretty crazy. It's pretty wild. But uh, yeah, it'll be a fun, fun stuff. Uh, good choice to win the World Series. I'll say that much. Um, yeah, we're gonna review catchers and corner infielders, kind of just a random, you know, look at some ADPs, do some debates, talk about some targets, hit some listener questions up, have a little fun for you guys on a Monday night edition of Bubba and the Bat Flip. So let's start with uh, catchers, and we're going through ADP from like the fifth to the nineteenth, give or don't two week window is like thirteen drafts. For those keeping track at home, uh, we'll probably start shrinking it even more pretty soon as there's more drafts going. But we're starting to get a window to look at for sure. 
But with the catcher's position, I just wanted to discuss the top five ADP because not a ton has changed since we last talked. It's JTR at 25, Varsho at 37, Will Smith at 57, Rushman at like 72, and Salvi at 74. So those are the clear top five kind of were there. I think Adley's moved up a little bit since we last talked. That's why I wanted to bring this discussion point up here. Do you see anything that stands out to you besides, you know, we, we know you like JTR. You're not opposed to Varsho for the steals. Was there anything that stands out in that top five there? Because I'm still not like in on Adley just yet. Yeah, not really. Um, you mentioned, I mean, for me, actually, this year, JTR, according to the projections, is not, and where he's going in drafts, I mean, he's going at pick 25. He's actually not, he's not a value where he's going right now, and there's some other values going there. So he actually has not been a target of mine, which is kind of difficult to say. Um, but, uh, and with then with Adley, you know, I think the question with Adley is the plate appearances and what you think he's going to get to, but he's easily the biggest dud, you know, among catchers going in that top five, top six that you mentioned. Um, you know, the projections just don't really seem to like him a lot. And so I think you need to do a little bit of your manual adjustments if you want to push him up there. It's got him for 552 to 582 plate appearances, the various projection systems but doesn't like the speed three or four steals uh doesn't like the power which you know he didn't show much power last year so it's it's interesting i can see there's a good debate i think between um it was james anderson and i can't remember who the second person was either rob silver or maybe somebody else about about adley which is definitely worth listening to but um yeah, I, I just haven't been really interested in Adley where he's going right now. So he and JTR are actually the two that I'm kind of not really in on right now based on where they're going. Interesting. Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. Like I've always been a Varsho guy. I haven't been willing to take JT in the first two rounds, basically, in a 15-teamer. Um, just talked with Anthony Gialdi from my Royals preview, and we went in on Salvador Perez, and it's hard to take Salvi at 74, honestly, because he's, he's an accumulator and he should get his playing time, but I don't think we're seeing the 48 home runs again. So you got to keep that in mind. Uh, something else to mention when we talk catchers here, there's six going in the top 100. There's eight going in the, the 100 to 200. So 14 catchers go in the top 200. So when you're building out your, your rosters, I know we like to make sure we get good catchers, but you can, um, you know, 30 catchers have to at least go at least in these 15 team leagues and half of them, it takes at least to pick 200. So there is a waiting game potentially if you know what you're looking for. But I will say after like pick 200, you're getting into some murkier water with J.R. Node, you know, Jonah Heim, Vasquez, Logan O'Hoppy, who might be starting in the minor leagues. There's only like six guys in the top, you know, the next 200 to 300. A lot of catchers are going late, which I know is not an uncommon thing for years past. But I just wanted to point out it's like maybe 20 catchers in the top 300 um, does stand out. So, for a guy like yourself, I guess I'll ask, are you still looking to get two catchers early or do you see this kind of landscape allowing you to maybe wait a little longer? Yeah, I think um, I, I'm a little bit flexible. I think that's that's kind of like my approach in general this year is trying to be a little bit more flexible in the way I want to approach it. I do really like some of those early catchers. I mean, Varsho right now is, is you know, he's a... Uh, He's a value, you know, according to what I have uh, on the spreadsheet. Uh, Will Smith is, Salvi. I know you mentioned, you know, he's probably not going to get back to those 48 homers, but 
I'm not sure if he needs to do that in order to, re, uh, you know, reclaim, you know, some value based on where he's going in the drafts. Wilson Contreras is looking really nice. Although, you know, if you remember back to our catcher podcast, I'm still not entirely sold on Contreras, um, but definitely somebody that the projections likes a, a significant amount. There's, I think there's a lot of questions around like, kind of play plate appearances. And so depending on where you are, like Adley is going to look different. You know, uh, Alejandro Kirk is going to look different. Sean Murphy, even like, you know, is it, does Murphy get any DHing? Does he, you know, uh, what, what percentage does DR get? Or is DR no DHing? You know, and that's the question about DR no, who looks okay going where he's going. Um, Melendez looks like he's going to be getting full-time plate appearances. So he's also interesting. Um, even William Contreras, who I know we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, later, like, yeah, he's, you know, he's, he's actually not a value on my spreadsheet. Neither is Tyler Stevenson, but both of them are interesting for plate appearances as well. Right. Without a lot of competition, we just saw the Reds say that Tyler Stevenson, you know, they're going to play him 140 to 150 games this year, nine out of 10 games. They said they've already got it planned out. They've already got it scheduled. Uh, Jansen's interesting. Raleigh's interesting, I think. So it's all really interesting, but I agree with you after 200, there's just a, it feels, it feels risky. You know, it feels really risky. And there's a couple guys, like I, I got Grandall in my league, you know, best shape of his life vid comes out as I'm on the clock and I got to press the button. Well, and Grandall's a fun one because I've talked about him with Bloomfield and some other people that, he, you know, we all know how horrific his season was last year. There's no sugarcoating that at all. But are we going to say one bad season means he's an ADP of 272 bad compared to what we've seen throughout his entire career? Maybe he is broken. Maybe he is. And that's a fact. But you're also not paying like Grandal used to be like the fourth catcher off the board or something. Now he's like the 24th catcher off the board. To me, that makes a big difference to at least analyze, not just like walk past him in a draft. So to hear you even took him brings a little more like interesting argument into my discussion in my brain, kind of like, okay, like we need to kind of put, you know, the, the biases aside and, and look at, you know, opportunity costs, I guess, at certain positions. And Grandal stands out as one because when you look at where Grandal is going, you have like, again, Logan O'Hoppy right in front of him. He's supposed to start in AAA unless something crazy happens. Uh, Eric Haas going behind him. We've talked about that. That's kind of like a yeah, roller coaster ride. Um, and, and like you said, a lot of the kind of after 200, a lot of it, what it is, is, you know, I, I, we discussed it on the catcher's preview, is so many catchers, like, do the platoon thing and they get close to 100-ish games. So, obviously, the farther down you go, you're getting into the more of the platoon situations. So, the earlier guys are the plate appearances, like you talked about. And um, that makes it, like, what are you willing to roster and stomach for your team? Like, we know in DCs, you need plate appearances. They're king. Grandal will get those plate appearances unless he, like, literally gets hurt or something. Whereas some of these other guys, that's in question. Now in a fab league, you can you know, stream and make things work if you really want to play that game because some of these guys will have value throughout the season. There's zero questioning that. You never know how that's going to pan out. But it does does make things interesting. It is murkier for sure the farther down you go. But it's definitely out of all positions, and it makes sense. It's the catcher's position. It's been like this pretty much since we've ever played fantasy. It's very spread out. It's very spread out. It's not as bunched up as you'd expect. But it, it at least brings the analyzing of how you want to um, form your roster into play. I'll, I'll say that much. Makes it quite interesting there. Uh, anything else standing out to you? Kind of just a, a look at ADP or going through your first draft that kind of stood out at catcher? Or do you want to do a couple debates real quick? 
Uh, no, nothing really stood out, honestly. Um, I think there's, yeah, I, 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 I don't think it's, I don't, I don't like to get deep in it. I don't like to get very deep in that catcher position. Like, yeah, I, I think I'll probably get him earlier. Yeah. That's the only thing is like, it's spread out, but do you want to spread it out? That's the, that's the question at hand. So let's do a couple debates here at the catcher's position. We'll get to the corner in the field where it's a little more entertaining here. Um, we have William Contreras at 119, basically 120, and Sean Murphy at like 120, 121. They're going right next to each other. Got traded basically in the same deal for each other. Obviously, the A's part of that deal, not not the same deal. But, um, you know, William Contreras coming off the monster season last year. And you mentioned the plate appearance game. Like projections only have him playing around 120 games. When in reality, he should get some DH and he should be the full-time catcher. There's a world where we see 130 to 140 with William, and that obviously will affect the overall production line, kind of what you were hinting at earlier. And then you have Sean Murphy, who we know 148 games last year, 612 plate appearances, led all of catchers. And they still have him for like 134 at the bad X, um, 538 plate appearances, not bad. He could still see more than that too. So that's kind of a an interesting predicament. So – if you had these two guys on the board and you had to pick one of them, who would you be looking at? Yeah, I think I'd probably be going. I think I'd probably be going with Murphy. Um, I just think you know the consistency in the the approach. You know, the spreadsheet has him considerably higher, about 40, 40 spots higher um, in terms of the overall ranking um, in terms of players. Um, you know, if you dive into them, like Murphy, he had 18 home runs last year, but he was in the cavernous ballpark that is Oakland. So he had 44 barrels and, you know, only 18 home runs from those. So if you look at a reasonable barrel, um, to home run ratio there, you're now talking about, you know, 25, 26, um, homers, uh, which is really nice. He obviously had the 612 plate appearances. But, you know, he doesn't really uh, strike out much. You know, the contact rate is up there. It's kind of a solid, if not spectacular, profile. Um, And again, you know, I think there's a little bit of upside on the projection if they decide to play him a little bit more. I think he's certainly a good enough hitter. You know, the one area where he kind of regressed a little bit last year was in the chase rate. You know, so he was chasing more pitches outside the zone, which was something he had done a little bit better um, earlier on in his career, but we know that that can fluctuate kind of from season to season, set a career high in his max exit velo at 114. The Braves are a very good lineup. He's going to be in a really good position, you know, to drive in runs there. So I think overall, I think there's a little bit more, a little bit less risk, you know, with Murphy. Um, he's steady. He's solid. He just kind of needs to continue what he's already done uh, to be successful in that lineup. You know, where Contreras, obviously, he's also been, you know, very successful. 571 plate appearances in his appearances in his career, uh, 260 batting average, 28 homers, 70 and 69, two steals. But he does it in a very different way with that high K rate, you know, the the high BABIP as well, which could just be a sign of the batted ball quality that he's been able to pr- produce. You know, I will say um, for Contreras, the nice thing is he has gotten that O swing uh, under control a little bit. It was actually better than Murphy last year. You know, the contact rate lags behind, um, you know, a decent amount in the high 60s, but it's not atrocious. So that if he can keep that where the projections are with that you know, 26 to 26 and a half 
uh, strikeout rate. You know, I think that he'll do, um, I think that he'll do well. I do think that there's upside again in the projections, right? They're at 473, 428, uh, 491. It looks like, um, here. So if you think he's closer to that 491, 500, um, in, you know, with the Brewers, if he does get some DH time, if he, um, plays a little bit more regular then he could certainly be there. I think you go after him for that ballot batted ball quality, 31 barrels, 13.4% barrel rate. You know, the max EV is really nice at 115.2. So again, I don't know if there's a right or a wrong answer with this one. And that's why it's such a good player debate. I think it's just a matter of kind of like the steady has kind of done it as an everyday starter before with Murphy in a, in a better lineup, better team versus Contreras with maybe a little bit more upside, a little bit more higher skills, a little bit less certainty around the, the playing time. So I think in that type of a situation, I probably lean Murphy um, just because I don't think you need to take that risk. But um, again, I, I could see people going either way, especially when you factor in kind of the ADP that they're going at. Yeah, it's an interesting one. That's that's, that's why I like how they are right next to each other. Like you said, I have nothing against Sean Murphy. I think he's going to be good this year. I think he'll play about 140-ish games for the Braves, I'd imagine. There's always still a chance he doesn't play 140 because they do have Travis Arnold. I know Murphy's going to be the main guy. I've heard that from many people telling me I'm crazy, thinking Travis will get his time. But you know, Travis and William both got over 100 games last year, so I'm curious how they'll play that out. Uh, if the Braves are healthy, they have plenty of DH options. So that also kind of makes it interesting there. Um, I'm a William Contreras guy. Most people know that by now. I think he's playing 140-ish games for the Brewers. They want to DH him. They want to play him at catcher as much as possible. The hit tool, the hard hit rates, the barrel rates are ridiculous. I don't expect him to hit for the average yet for last year. I'm not crazy in that regard. I definitely think that comes back. But at the same time, I think his counting stats will take a, a boom because he had 51 runs and 45 RBIs on 20 homers last year. That was hitting in different spots throughout the order where I see him hitting like right in the middle of the Brewers order, which will help with the counting stats, especially the RBIs at least. Uh, I see a 20-plus home run season with with William Contreras in that ballpark. Yes, and Atlanta's a good ballpark. I'm not downplaying that at all. But um, hey, I think Hey, the, Bubba. Yeah. I think my cat's in a fight right outside the door. Okay. I, I'll be right back in like one you second. They're like brawling. One second. Go get him. They, they, William Contreras going, or Sean Murphy. Yeah. Um, so I'm going William Contreras. It is extremely close for obvious reasons that um, they are the ADPs of like 120 and 121. But I'm going with the upside of William Contreras where I could see if things really go well, we're talking 25 to 30 home runs and, um, you know, maybe 80-ish RBIs or more, which I think could be big. Maybe it's 270 still, which is pretty big with William Contreras. We've never seen Murphy hit for a high average. 250 last year was his highest average. So, I'm going William Contreras, but it's extremely close. It's more the upside versus the safe play. I'll go with William, but I've also always, I've always been very known to be a William Homer, so that'll be my direction there. Cats okay? Cats okay. Yeah, I guess it was other cats oh, because ours, ours, I guess, was inside. So who oh, knows? I'm go. like, for those who don't know, I have like a little office wire where I record in my garage, and so I heard this like really loud crying and like then hissing and so i guess it's another cat so screw that cat you know whatever yep. not your problem but um let's go to the <laughs> next adp debate here which is another, nmp 
Yeah, there you go. Not your problem. Another uh, kind of close one here, which is interesting. You got Gabriel Moreno, uh, the new D-back, at 249. And you got Jonah Heim at 250. Heim should be the everyday guy. Moreno, we expect to play a lot, but it's not a, for a, a done deal in Arizona. So how do you look at these two? Yeah, this is a this is a tough one. I mean, only because there's so much uncertainty around Moreno and what he's going to do. You know, I think I I think I lean. I actually drafted uh, Jonah Heim in my other one. Um, believe it or not, I didn't get a I didn't get a elite catcher um, in my DC. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, but with Moreno again, there's a lot of uncertainty. Obviously, you know the projections, and everybody seems to think that the batting average will be strong. You know, really minimizes his strikeouts. Um, he doesn't have great plate discipline, you know, so far at least. Um, very small sample. Let's look at his minor league walk record. Yeah, he didn't. He never had a never had a walk rate over nine percent in the minors. So I wouldn't anticipate that he will have one um, here. And there, he's being projected for six point eight percent. You know, the power I think is the major question. You know, one hundred nine max EV, two barrels, three point three percent you know, so far in his career. Uh, but, you know, he's young, he's 23. It oftentimes takes catchers a little while to adjust. And I also think that, you know, learning learning a major league pitching staff, how to manage that, how to handle that, I think they'll take him along, you know, pretty slowly. They have Carson Kelly there. So they have, you know, some some very competent other players. So I think the plate appearances, you know, are, are going to be minimal. And for that reason, I, I'm not really interested in Moreno at all. Um, with Heim, I think there's a lot to be interested in um, there. He's similar to Moreno, keeps the K rate down, you know, really nice contact rate, uh, much higher than league average. The O swing is right around league average, maybe a little bit, um, a little bit worse, but he's already got a season under his belt where he hit, you know, 227. That sucks, but 16 homers, uh, 51 runs, 48 RBI, and 450 plate appearances, which is nothing you know, to really sneeze at, unless of course you draft early catchers and then you do sneeze at that. Uh, but Max EV at 112.4, he had 22 barrels, you know, a 6.9% barrel rate, um, which is really nice. And, um, you know, he struggled, I believe in the second half, right. Uh, last year, but, um, you know, I feel like he's a guy that has, let me just confirm. Yeah. He only hit 181, in the second half, only four of his 16 homers, you know, but all that being said, it wasn't like it was really a dip in skill all that much. It was much more just, um, I'm, I'm going to take a look at the graph just so I, I'm not talking out of my, out of my butt. But, um, if I remember correctly from when I did a little bit of research on him, it wasn't necessarily that. Yeah. Like the contact rate was steady throughout, um, hard hit rate dipped a little bit you know, O swing up a little bit, um, as well towards the end ground ball rate was also down, um, a little bit. So, uh, again, let's take a look at just this rolling. Yeah. So his BABIP was 189 for this, for over the last 40 games, you know, that's not something that I think is going to happen consistently. He's not going to be a high BABIP guy, maybe a guy that benefits a little bit, um, from the shift. Uh, the changes with the shift as well. If I remember correctly from the process, I, I think that's that might be one thing that happens, but can't confirm. You'll have to get the book um, to figure that one out. So that's all to say, I, I, I like Heim. I think the skill set is there to be 
a successful major league hitter. He's young. He's got more experience. I think Moreno, they're going to bring him along slowly. So um, for me, it's time. Yeah, we're on the same page here. Like Moreno's talents are good. I don't think I don't know if the power is there yet, if it will be, because he hasn't really showcased it in the minors, like you mentioned. Average is great, but Carson Kelly's the the guy that's concerning me because he plays really good defense. They're gonna still want to keep him out there from time to time. How does that affect Moreno's playing time? Million dollar question. So I think uh I definitely go high. He's supposed to be the starting catcher. They want him to be the starting catcher. Mitch Garver is not the concern there. Mitch Garver's never been a starting catcher, he's been a DH that catches. Um, so I like Jonah Heim a lot. They got 15 plus home run power. I agree the bad average should be better next year from everything that uh, you mentioned and more. So I'm a Jonah Heim fan. This one was actually pretty easy for me. It sounds like it's pretty easy for you, but they're going right next to each other. And the Gabriel Moreno hype is real. So keep that in mind. And I think Heim is a, I have zero problem with him as my catcher too. I think he's a, a solid catcher too, if you wait at the position. So just wanted to bring him up in these debates. All right, we're going to have some targets uh, at the catcher's position later in drafts. We're going to do ADPs 11 through 20, which is Tyler Stevenson, Cal Raleigh, Danny Jansen, Caber Ruiz, Travis Dernod, Gabriel Moreno, Jonah Heim, Christian Vasquez, Logan Hoppy, and Yasmani Grandal. If you had to pick like one or two, who are two guys or one or two guys you would target in this range? Um, so you said it starts with Tyler Stevenson. Is that right? Yeah, and goes to Yasmani Grandal. Yeah, in that range, I mean, my targets, uh, Stevenson's kind of interesting. And I only say that because, you know. He's a big uh, guy. Yeah, he's a big guy. I was just going to say, he's a really big guy. <laughs> and and uh, that that means something um, yep. to me. Um, but if you look at, like, his career, Tyler Stevenson's, uh, you know, he's got 605 plate appearances, 18 homers, 81 run, 84 run, 86 RBI with a 296 batting average. I mean, that's really good. Um, and so, yeah, it's really good. So if, and he's a batting average guy late. And I think, you know, they, I was got really excited because I was like, Oh my God, the Reds are going to play Tyler Stevenson nine out of 10 games. And I was like, okay, what is 0.9 times 162? And I was like, okay, it's, I think it's like 145. It's like 145. No. It's less than that, 140, closer to 140, 141, something like that. And I was like, ah, that's a little disappointing. Okay, how many plate appearances has he averaged every single for his career, right? And he was at like 3.6 per game. So I was like, okay, what is, you know, um, 140 times 3.6? And I was like, oh, it's 475. Okay, what's he projected at? Oh, 488 projected played appearances in my, <laughs> in my spreadsheet. So I was like, Oh, okay. I got excited there for a little bit. Now that being said, I mean, 3.6, it may factor in some pitch hitting some other things where, you know, maybe he's hitting higher in the lineup now. And so he gets more of an opportunity. So I think you need to kind of factor some of those pieces in, but I got excited for a little bit about him for, for a little bit. I'm not as excited, but I could definitely see if I don't get any of the, the higher up catchers, maybe going for him just as the batting average reinforcement with some of the guys who are going late. I think Cal Raleigh's nice. You know, he's right around where he should be going. Danny Jansen, I think, is nice as well. His ADP seems to have fallen a little bit um, over the last last little bit. I don't know whether that's just because people are having a preference of Raleigh or, or what's going on, but uh, they've kind of seen that. <coughs> Outside those guys, I think um, Heim, I mentioned, I already drafted him. And then I think Grandal 
is somebody who's interesting that I that I imagine I'll probably have at least in one of my fab leagues. So those are the guys going in that range that I like. How about you? Yeah, Stevenson does intrigue me. I've, I got liked him last year. He had those freakish injuries. He had one legit injury, but the other one was like a foul ball off his hand and like all kinds of catcher's energy, injuries. It happens. This is what you expect from the catcher's position. But the fact they made a point like they want him to DH, play first base, they want to try to minimize the injuries to keep him in the lineup is a, a positive thing, as, as we mentioned. Uh, so I do like Stevenson. Danny Jansen's a guy that's loved to stay healthy, Danny. Like we've said that many times with him, and that's a good ADP there. And then Jonah Heim is a guy I said also that I've drafted in a bunch of places. I'm a, I'm a fan of him as a catcher too. And I'm coming around on Grandall. Like we, like I mentioned earlier, like it's starting to get to the point now if I don't want to be super aggressive on catcher, leaving with him as a catcher too is becoming more intriguing to say the least. So I could see that. Or even if you're in a DC, make him a catcher three for just security. That's aggressive taking three catchers that early, but it's doable. You can do it because – it gets real bad the later you go at catchers to try to give yourself backup options. It's almost like you don't have a backup. So um, it is interesting in that regard. So I'm kind of leaning those, but Heim is probably one of my most rostered guys in this range. And that's for sure that big, big Jonah Heim fan in this area. 21 through 30, it goes from Haas, Betancourt, Fortes, Bo Naylor, Elias Diaz, Joey Bart, Jose Trevino, Indy Rodriguez, Omar Narvaez, and Gary Sanchez. So, couple guys that won't even be in the bigs to start the year. Some guys that might lose their jobs, a lot of platoons, and a free agent in this range. So when we said it gets messy, it gets really messy, Toby. So who do you like in this range? Yeah, this is why I don't really want to wait that much, yeah. um, honestly. Um, Eric Haas is interesting to me. I mean, he always kind of has been as long as he's getting a little bit of run. Christian Betancourt is also interesting to me, again, depending on the number of play appearances he gets in Tampa. But um, – Dude can hit, uh, hit the ball hard at least. Um, Nick Fortes, a little bit interesting, you know, that possibility for the speed, but really seems like he's going to be in a, a pretty strict split with Stallings, which limits both of their value. Um, Naylor probably won't get a ton of run, you know, um, they've got Zanino there and I think they'll kind of give him, give him a, a little bit of run. He's a really good defensively and, and we'll see what happens with their backup catcher, whether they even have Naylor up to begin with or not. Elias Diaz is definitely one that I like, you know, who, who ranks as a pretty good value here. Um, and so if I'm missing out on a lot of the guys that I already mentioned, then I think Elias Diaz is kind of my, my total fallback back option there. And then Andy Rodriguez is super interesting. I don't think he makes it, um, to, uh, to the big leagues to start off with. So in fab leagues, I think it's tough to have him, but, um, in a DC, I think he's a really interesting, um, speculative ad. You know, just seems like a guy who can who can really hit uh, well. Um, yeah, Sanchez hasn't signed, huh? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. That's kind of wild to me. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it's it's wild. Um, and I mean, the projections really like him a lot, actually, and I think that's because of the power obviously seems like a guy who will benefit tremendously from from the shift, so long as that is implemented in the way that it is, um, it, or as people are wanting it to be implemented, just because even though he's a right-handed hitter batter, I mean, they would just shift the heck out of him. Um, and I think he's a, he's a pretty big gainer as well. Um, when looking at, at guys who, who might gain from, um, from the shift. So that could be interesting, but if he's not signed to a team, it's pretty hard to draft him in a fab league. So yeah. How about you? Who's who interests you in that crew? 
I've kind of I've always been interested in Eric Haas. I've kind of backed off a bit of late, but I do have a few shares. Christian Betancourt really gets my attention. The catcher first base eligibility, preferment catcher, obviously. But um there's a lot of in the quality of contact metrics that stand out. He can hit for average, like better than most at catcher, not great, but pretty darn good. And the Rays really want to play him as much as possible. They made a point uh to say that like, it is Rays, though. So it was at 110 games, 120 games, still not bad at this ADP. So I like Christian Betancourt in this area. If I knew Nick Fortes would play enough, I'd be a fan, but they oh, still yeah. they love Stallings. They still love Stallings because of the defense. So that's a little tricky. Um, I, li- I always like Elias Diaz, so I'm with you there. Um, and then the Indy one is – if Indy was starting on day one, he'd be about 100 picks higher. So I, I the hit tool is amazing with him, but I think they just want to, you know, slow go it type thing, which makes it tricky. But – like if I have to pick like one, it's Christian Betancourt. He's been a, a big time target of mine in this range. If I just totally whiff on catchers or something, he's a guy I don't mind taking because uh, it's him and Francisco Mejia. And let's be fair, Francisco Mejia just hasn't done it. Hasn't done it at all. And when Betancourt got traded to the Rays, he caught a ton for them. Like if you look at his positions last year, first base was almost all with the A's. Catchers was almost all with the Rays. So they want him to catch, and that's a a big thing when I when I broke down him earlier this year. So probably Betancourt for me. All right, let's go to the corner infield position here. And we'll start with a couple questions just to kind of rehash the deal. Have there been any changes or like just mindsets on how you want to approach the first base position now that you kind of seen things play out a bit? Yeah, a little bit. I love first base uh, this year. I think first base has just some spectacular values right now. Um for that rate reason, I maybe I don't know. I mean, like, look, even Vlad Jr., you know, I know I was critical of him before. I cannot find a projection system that does not like Vlad Jr., Bubba. <laughs> I cannot find a projection system that not does even the not BF, like Vlad not Jr. Not even the BFC projection system? The BFC projection system. I actually just developed it. I have one player projected um, so far, and it'll probably be the only player I project it's Vlad Jr. Let me see what I'm projecting Vlad Jr. to have. Um, I'm projecting 424 plate appearances, 244 batting average, 14 homers, two steals, 45 and 48. Um, that's what I'm projecting for Vlad in my BFC projections. So don't don't get him, guys. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. That was Jonah Himes' projection. Um, one of his projections. Um, but no, I mean, even Vlad shows up as, you know, being a tremendous value. I obviously have not drafted him yet, but at a certain point, you got to stop smashing your head against the wall and just be like, well, maybe Vlad Jr. is really good. Um, Freddie Freeman also uh, shows up really nicely. Um, although I think it's, yeah, it, it, I mean, he shows up really nicely. I think it's part of it is the draft champions. Um, I think because right now that's what I have in my um, kind of projection system. So that'll change when I go strictly to fab leagues, but I like Freddie Freeman a lot. Um, you know, I don't find myself thinking about kind of Alonzo Goldie and Olsen much, but you know, there's just this group of first basemen from, you know, like Hoskins, Mountcastle, Abreu, even Lowe is showing up really well. Uh, Christian Walker, Rowdy Tellez, CJ Crone. Anthony Rizzo, Ty France, Josh Bell, Josh Naylor, Miguel Vargas. I mean, there's obviously the injury news on on that front there, but all those guys are showing up as as tremendous values right now. And so I think for me, 
a lot of it is just um, either a kind of waiting to see what value pops up there, you know, like what is the, you know, who, who who's going to go for the cheapest or who's going to fall the furthest or, or whatnot, or do I just target three of those guys, you know, and yeah. like try to maximize by going like getting my first baseman, my CI and my util from that group. Um, you know, that's kind of what I did in this first draft. I, I don't know how much I, I love it, honestly, just thinking about some of the other positions that I left open a little bit longer, but it is intriguing with just how much value I think there is on the board at first base, um, this year. So I'm actually, I'm actually a fan of it. Yeah. I'm, I'm completely in agreement with you here because I was in early drafts and I've still done it depending on where it falls for me in the ADPs and like where my KDS was and whatnot. I, I'm so mental on I need power. I need power because it's been such an issue for the last couple of years for me. It's like the Pete Alonzo of the world stand out because he still hits for average too. So I'm a fan of that scenario, mm-hmm. but I'm not for, like I was kind of almost forcing it early in draft season. where looking at the player pool and evaluating it more and more, you know, even a Brayu who I like a lot, I feel like I can even wait a little longer. And you mentioned Hoskins, Christian Walker, Telez, like if you just pair a couple of those guys, like if you paired Walker and Telez, you could have like sixty plus home runs after like pick one twenty three, which is interesting. And then you mentioned a bunch of other guys down there. Like I love Josh Naylor. Um, there's a ton of dudes down there. I'm starting to kind of grow on the Vinny P situation. That's interesting. We'll talk about him a little later. Um, I was completely off of him at first, but the more I've dug in, the more I've read about him and listened to people that know much more about the Royals and Vinny P than I do. There's a little bit more, I think, to like than I originally wanted to like, which is interesting. Um, so the position is insanely deep compared to what I thought, especially for someone that looks for power the way I need to. This is one of the positions, and it's not like Captain Obvious stuff. People that know what they're doing know. This is 100% a position you can get power late. And like not super late, obviously, but like in fab leagues, you can probably like in the t- early 20s get a 20 to 30 home run dude at first base if you play your cards right and that's hard to find at a lot of other positions so it makes me it's making me maybe reevaluate in that second round instead of a pete alonzo do i go get an ace pitcher like toby would do do i go and get a different position that i I, I, do i go get a manny machado instead of wait for a different third baseman do i just so on and so forth down the line do i do i build my roster in a different way and i'm starting to lean that direction and that's that's part of what's fun about doing these shows and, and doing early drafts and kind of learning and fine fine tuning your craft and passing it on at least from our experience what we're doing right now to um, to go forward. So I've learned that a lot with first base. So it's kind of nice here and that you're seeing a lot of similarities there. Where it's just it's getting harder and harder for me to take those early first basemen. Not nothing against them. You can easily build a roster around them. No questioning that. But to know statistical needs for your team throughout the draft. First base provides a lot of the power department numbers, which obviously gives you runs, RBIs as well. So three categories right there, much later in your draft, which is a uh, pretty nice, pretty nice to see. Yeah, and and yeah. one thing I'll say too is that the approach that you mentioned, the Alonzo Goldie Olson approach there too. I mean, it's not like the spreadsheet doesn't dislike those guys. I mean, Alonzo's ranked twenty first, and his ADP is twenty right now. You know, Goldie yes. is actually four four spot value. You know. Olsen is a five spot value, you know, and Olsen's kind of the guy, he's like the guy that everybody's like, why would you draft Olsen here? Because that, well, you know, like if he get, if he benefits from the shift, you know, a good amount and that batting average goes up and he's hitting 260, you know, instead of the two forties and he's, 
you know, hitting 30 to 40 bombs and, you know, driving in all the runs that he'll drive in. He's steady. He's, he's healthy all the time. Like, you know, there's no, there's no shame in that either. I think the one thing that you mentioned, which, which I think is important is I think there is a certain point where it dries up a little yes, bit, you know, 100%. the power, like, you know, the Ty France, the Josh Bell, the Josh Naylor, the Mel Miguel Vargas, you know, those guys are projected, you know, power is not power is there, but not their calling card. You know, they're 20 100%. home run guys, as opposed to your, you know, 30. like you mentioned with Walker and tell us like that's 60 homers there, maybe, um, you know, so I think that's the one area where you just need to be a little bit cognizant where, you know, you know, grab one of those earlier guys that has a little bit of pop and then pair them with, you know, one of those guys that has. Uh, so I was just about to say is maybe instead, yeah. maybe still take my Pete Alonzo, but then pair them with a rowdy or something. And now you're talking 70 to 80 home runs and you can still build a roster and you don't have to worry about the later ones. And it's a whole nother way to add that home run depth. I we're mean, talking about Bubba, you could get all three. You could say you could get yeah. Alonzo to start off with. You could get Walker or Tellez on top of that. And then you could get Naylor or Bell even later than that. You know, there's no shame yeah. in having three first basemen. And I say that yeah. because in my one draft that I've done, that's what I have. But so. it, but it's, it's a good point. Cause we've tried to nail it home that don't worry about the positions as much as the statistical needs of your team. Like the position, just fill out your roster. And that's one way to do it. Like go like the guilds did it where he took, he had, I believe it was, Alonzo, and then he took Goldie again, and the draft where he kicked my butt and won the overall OC because the value was there. So he, like, two rounds later, by the end of, like, round five or six, he had two first basemen already. It doesn't matter. Like, just build your team. It's it's proven that it, it can work. So keep that in mind. And, as we go. and what's already happening and is going to happen, especially, I mean, depending on the leagues that you're in, right? Like, you know, if you're doing an NFBC, like, the main or something like that, the pitchers are going to get keep moving up, you know? Yeah. They're going to keep moving up, sure. and then the guys, like, like, Goldie and Alonzo Olson will be the guys that kind of shed back a little bit, uh, maybe. So that's something to be cognizant of too. So it may be a situation where right now they don't look as good, but you know, in in a few weeks when they're they've dropped half around, you know, or around, then maybe they look a little bit more interesting as a way to start your team off. So, hundred uh, percent. Let's do the same exercise at third base now. Is there some anything? Uh, at third base, it kind of stands out to you to be different. Like J-Ram still the dude up top. But it's kind of the same usual suspects. But, you know, we've talked about how there's kind of a cliff. And there's like that after the cliff where there's a couple dudes here and there that you could, you know, see yourself rostering. But it's not nearly as fun as it once was. So how are you looking at third base right now? Yeah, I mean, third base is a position where I like J-Ram, of course. I mean, J-Ram is fantastic. And, you know, I, I would definitely take him within the top six. He's, he's number four on my, on my uh, spreadsheet here. And I think he, he provides a lot. And, and one thing too, is to think about, you know, the potential benefit from, from the shift for him as well. Um, you know, batting average has always been the one area where he's a little bit limited and, and that could, he could benefit slightly from that um, uh, is what I'll say. So there's that piece of it. Um, outside of him, I'm not really interested in those top third basemen. And when I look at my spreadsheet, I see a lot of like orangish, Yellow, which means ah, oh, they're going about where they should, but not necessarily, you know, um, the color scheme that I'm looking for on my conditional formatting. I'm looking for a little bit more, more of a green shade of yellow and and more green. And where I see that is kind of the mid range guys, actually pretty similar to what we saw with first first base as well. 
you know, guys like Matt Chapman, um, Ryan McMahon is showing up as a strong value, Alec Bohm, even our, our guy, Cabrian Hayes, who apparently was injured last year. And maybe there's a little bit more pop in that bat. Um, Yandy shows up as, as a really big value here. I know that's not necessarily in line with, with ADP, but, um, he's, he's pretty high up there. Um, you know, again, like I think part of that is you need to be comfortable with, uh, knowing that you're not going to really get speed or power from him, um, and not like hope or base your team around, um, doing that, you know, but then there's like that range of Turner, Moncada, even Rendon going where he's going. I mean, they, they're planning to bat him clean up. So that could be a possibility. And I think even later on, there's some guys that I like too, which I, I won't talk about now because, um, we'll talk about them later, but I, I think there's, I think there's some value to be had at, at third base as well. And I think it goes back to what you mentioned before. Again, I think one thing that I'm trying to shift in my perspective is in the past, I definitely would have been a, let me fill in all my positions type of guy. And what I'm really trying to do is who is the best player available? Who's the best quote unquote value, right? In the difference between the rank and the ADP that fits this, the needs of my team, you know, the statistical scarcity, the categorical, categorical scarce, scarcity that, um, you know, that, that's, that's what we really need to be honing in on and, and focus less on like the filling in the, the, the positions because that feels good. Yeah, don't yeah, get me wrong. That feels good, but, but it, I don't know if it's the best strategy. Yeah. The one thing I'll mention about third base is I do agree that there's is some later targets. I will say for sure. If you're doing a DC or an NPC 50, make sure you have at least two or three quickly. Because unlike other positions, when it hits the deep cliff, there is nothing to target later on. Like at least in other positions, you have options. But if you you know you you probably want at least three third basemen, I'd say in a, in a, in a, in a DC type format, that third one's going to be basically a zero if you're not aggressive on the position. I'm going to say that much real quickly. Um, maybe that's just my experience. Maybe there's other stuff that deeper plays that people know about. But I'd say after like. I'll be as generous as say around eight uh, the fortieth third baseman off the board or so. It gets real murky real quick. Fifty for sure. And you got to think about if you're in fifteen teams and everyone wants three of them, that's forty five of them. So don't be waiting too long at that position. Uh, but yeah, other than that, I still like the, the top guys. But I'm kind of falling more in fans of like the Muncie, Suarez, Chapman range. You mentioned Hayes. I'm still a Drury guy, even though there's some concerns. McMahon, I've always liked Josh Young. So that kind of like one. 30 to like 230, 250 range, I'm becoming much more comfortable with where early in the season I felt like I had to get one of the top like nine guys where I'm not feeling that way. It goes back again like a broken you know record here. Feeling stats, not team. And that that's what a big thing is. Like, and you've said it many times is in a 15 team league, especially, you're gonna have a hole somewhere. That's just how it's gonna go. At third base, you can have a hole that still has a little bit of give to your team where other holes might not be the same. So keep that in mind when you're looking it up, but we're, we're in similar bases there as well. Let's do some debating, Toby, at the corner infield position, and we'll start with um, Rafael Devers at ADP about 22. Austin Riley's about ADP 22. They're going right next to each other. They've both gone as high as 17. Devers as low as 28. Riley as low as 26. So it seems like when one goes, the other pretty much goes. So how do you, uh, obviously this could be a roster construction thing because of what they both offer, but how do you approach the Riley versus uh, Devers debate? Yeah, I mean, it's a really good debate. I mean, they're pretty similar players. 
Uh, I do have De- Devers ranked 23rd and Riley is 29. Um, but I mean, it's like a dollar and 50 cents. That's that's separating the two of them. Um, I think it depends on how, how, what you're, the way that you're most comfortable kind of building out your team. I mean, with Devers, right. We have a longer track record. He's really been very good in every single season in recent history, except for, you know, uh, 2020, right. When he had the, when he had the shortened season, but the average is always higher. The power's there a little bit of speed, you know, the runs in RBI as well. And for that reason, I think I would lean Devers. I think just because I think there's a little bit more confidence in that batting average being higher. That being said, I am pretty confident too, that the power um, that Austin Riley has, and he's legitimately, I think a very good hitter. Mm -hmm. And I think that the power is maybe there uh, more and he's in a better environment as well. So I can also see the case for him. And, you know, you just have to read that athletic about him going and getting, you know, the bat fitting and everything like that. Like to know that this is a guy who just put up a monster, you know, MVP caliber type of season last year. And what is he doing over the summer, right? He's trying to find ways to get better. He's trying to find ways to make his, to improve his equipment. You know, he is a, uh, he's a legit superstar. And I think, um, an incredible hitter. So I also don't fault you for, um, you know, going with him either. I mean, the barrel rate at 15.7%, he had 71 barrels last year. I mean, crikey, like the dude, 116 max EV, like everything is, is really good, um, about Austin Riley and he just seems to be getting better. So I can also see going there, um, you know, for the same reason, I don't think there's the same level of upside on the batting average as there is with Devers and probably less speed, but I think they're both really good hitters. And if you're just like, I want to get a really good hitter here, I could see get it going for either one. Yeah, it's definitely like Devers better average, but not by much. Riley's still hitting the 270, 275, which is nice. Um, I'm pretty confident in 30 plus homers. I think he's on a better team than the Red Sox. So if you would ask me this question a couple of years ago, I said a Devers easy. I'm leaning Riley in this one. I'd probably take Riley over Devers. Not going to argue with anybody that wants to take Devers. It's um, basically if you can afford the point, like you know, the twenty percent, their twenty point drop in average, they're going to steal about the same amount of bags. But the counting stats and the power might be better with Riley. I think it will be better with Riley. And so I kind of lean the Austin Riley side of this thing. It's a it's very tight, and you know the thing is, Devers could easily put up a monster season too. Like no one's going to be shocked if he does that. So it is what it is. But I'm going to go with Riley from what we've seen in the last two years in the in the power department. And honestly, I think one of the differences is the ballpark. Like the Red Sox, you know, Fenway is great batting average park, but it is not helpful for home runs for lefties. Especially for you know, lefty. and yeah. yeah, and so I don't think that's something that kind of benefits him. You know, and and Riley had 20 more barrels last year than than Devers did. So, I mean, there's certainly a possibility that he outslugs him considerably in the home run department this year too. All right, next up we head to first base. Jose Abreu at 93 versus Vinny P at 96. And I'm curious to see what you have to say because I know uh, projections aren't the biggest fans of uh, Vinny Vinny Pascantino. But uh, what are your thoughts on these two? 
Yeah, this is uh this is a little bit of a tough one. You're right. The projections don't really like Vinny P. Um you know, which is unfortunate because I think he did a lot of good things. I, I would lean Abreu here. You know, um, number number one, the handy dandy spreadsheet sees a fairly let me go back to my first base. I'm on third base right now, of course. Um, sees a pretty hefty difference. Um, you know, between the two, uh rank of 111 versus a rank of 92. So, I mean, somewhat hefty, but Vinny P is kind of one of the only first basemen that stands out as not being of value in this particular um, situation. But we can look into a little bit about that. I mean, I think the thing with Abreu last year, he hit 15 homers, right? But everything else looked really good. You know, the batting average was really good, although, you know, the Babbitt was elevated, but we don't expect him to replicate that. You know, we're just expecting him to hit that, you know, 270s, maybe 280, you know. Um, but the the power should return. You know, he had a 9.6 home run per fly ball rate, you know, which is by far the lowest of his career um, that he's seen. You know, at the plate discipline, he actually had, he had huge gains in the contact rate. Um, he had the highest contact rate of any season um, in his entire career. You have to trust the uh, Astros a little bit. Like, they went out and got him. They wanted him very clearly. He was one of the first free agent signings. Um, also, who wouldn't want to sign with the Astros? Let's be honest. He had 47 barrels last year with only those 15 homers. You know, 9.5% barrel rate, right in line with his career average. A little bit of a slip in the max EV. You know, a little bit lower launch angle than he usually has, which means an increase in the ground ball rate. I'm guessing, yeah, a slightly higher ground ball rate, and that's a little bit of a of a not great trend um, for him. But you know, again, I think the Astros will help him maximize what he can do. He's going to be in the best lineup he's ever been in. There's going to be a lot of guys on base in front of him. The power you cannot replicate how poorly he did from a power perspective, um, given the underlying metrics. So I would go with Abreu here. You know, that's not to say I don't think, you know, Vinny P can take that step, that next step forward. I think what he's kind of running into is a little bit of the Royals. You know, the fact that he is on, you know, the Kansas City Royals, the projections actually like his batting average at or better than Abreu does. You know, he's in the 270s for all of them. He hit 295 before, doesn't strike out, you know, decent walk rate. You know, he's got those 10 homers on the 20 barrels, but... He's playing in Kaufman, and I think you're going to see pretty consistently, you know, that the barrels aren't going to go for home runs. I think we see that pretty consistently across them. And while they do have some fantasy guys, I think the major concern with the Royals is they have like zero guys that are good at OBP. Mm-hmm. You know, like Witt's not good at OBP. Sal P's not good at OBP. None of them are good at OBP. And those are the guys you have to drive in, right? So he's not going to be up with a ton of guys on base. And so I don't think he's going to replicate those super small like runs per plate appearance and RBI per plate appearance that he put together last year. Um, but, you know, I don't think they're going to be what they would be in a lineup that actually had some guys who could take walks and get on base. So that's a major concern I have for him. And given like just everything else that's going around in this position right here, I just pass on Vinny P. Yeah, I've been passing on Vinny P, and I'm starting to think I shouldn't be as easy to pass on Vinny P. And that's my predicament here. Like, I think Abreu is great. He's getting older. He goes oppo a lot. Does he change to pull the ball more? Those are questions I have. Much better team. Much better run environment. 
that's a huge plus because the Royals just aren't going to score runs. And that's going to cost Vinny P a lot. But what I like about Pascantino, the plate discipline is elite, for especially for a 25-year-old ball player. It is crazy to see walk rates over 11%, strikeout rate 11.4. Throughout the minors, he's always had a low strikeout rate to go with the walk rate. The average has always been there in the minors. Power has always been there. It's very impressive. Even his like quality of contact metrics were pretty darn solid last year in his first campaign, which was good to see. It's like it's so tough for me because I think Pascantino could take that next step. But what is that next step on a Royals team in Coffin Stadium? As you said, that's the predicament to have with him. I'm going to take Pascantino just because I think there's a ceiling. Obviously, we have not seen yet, obviously. And Abreu, he will be better than last year, but how much better than last year is my question. And we all say the run environment's better. You still have Jordan knocking everybody in too. You still have all these guys taking like they can only do so much. Like they'll still score a ton of runs. Don't get me wrong, but um, I'm going to go Vinny P. I have no problem with Abreu. I have roster a lot of Abreu, but I think Vinny P is an interesting, uh, interesting situation here. So I lean that direction. Um, I'm going to just do a couple more of these as we're going a little late on time here. But uh, let's do. Let's do Andrew Vaughn versus Ryan Mountcastle. This one's kind of a – I've heard the, uh, Vaughn's name especially mentioned a lot lately. He's coming in at 148, um, where Mountcastle's coming in at 149. How do you look at Vaughn versus Mountcastle? Hmm, that is a really good question. I think he's listed as an outfielder on my spreadsheet. Hold yeah, on Yeah, he's first second. base outfield on the deal, so yeah. Yeah, so my spreadsheet has Vaughn as player 164. And Mountcastle is a lot higher than that. Um, so I think I would lean, uh, I would go Mountcastle there. Um, yeah, I have I have Mountcastle as, as player 90. Oh, wow. um, so yeah, he shows up pretty well um, in, the, in the spreadsheet. Um, you know, I think... Part of part of the challenge with um, uh, well, I should really I should really dive in on Vaughn because I haven't I haven't that much. Um, I know a lot of uh, a lot of people do like him and and are talking about him as a guy who can take the next step with Larusa, you know, out of the way there. Um, yeah, let's Being see. Full time first baseman, no break. All right, contact help. rate is really nice. Yeah, um, chasing. You know, the home run per fly ball isn't great. 33 barrels, 7.9% last year, 9.2% over his full career. A little drop in the max exit below last year, but, you know, like pretty solid all the way around. Um, there, you know, 271, you could see the good batting average with uh, that K rate being low. So um, I could see why people are, are into him. He does have like a relatively high ground ball rate. 47.7 last year, 46.1 for his career, um, which limits the power upside a little bit for me. Um, you know, Mountcastle's interesting because I think one of the questions that the projections probably don't know yet and that we have to ask is like, I mean, he, he crushed the heck out of the ball last year, right? I think he had 60, what do you have, 60 barrels? 61 barrels, right? So he had one of the highest barrel rates, but he only had 22 home runs. And so the question becomes... How much of that is bad luck and how much of that is the new dimensions at Camden Yard as well? Um, but, you know, the O swing's bad. It's awful. He's, he's a guy you have to kind of look the other way on it. 
The contact rate, it was back up last year. Still not quite at league average, but again, for a guy who's mashing and really looking for power, you know, that's the reason um, why. You know, not going to walk a lot, but keeps the K rate relatively reasonable um, with the approach that he does. And again, 61 barrels last year, 15% barrel rate. So um, again, you know, I I lean Mountcastle here, but I can see why people are interested in Vaughn. You know, I, I think, I think, part of my Mount castles was like bad luck last year, you know? So I think he should be able to get to close to 30 home runs this year, um, as opposed to the 22 that he had last year. My question for you, the bad luck last year, but the dimensions aren't changing. How do you see the bad luck changing? Well, you know, so let's see. Uh, let me, t- let me just, I don't know what the answer it is to this. So no, I'm just, I just think it's an interesting question just basically because I think he had so much he got screwed over by those dimensions. Yeah, 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 totally. Well, I mean, even if you think about it, right? Like he should theoretically have half of his barrels happen at home and half of his barrels happen away. True. So true. even when you factor that in, I think feel like there's a little bit of bad luck scratched true. in there. But true. let's take a look at his batted balls. All right. So in 2022, 46.4% of his um, his, uh, fly balls were actually, let's do this. Let's look at hard hit fly balls. Um, so yeah. So like, you know, there's nothing that really stands out like in his oppo center pole compared to his career average, you know, his home run per fly ball did drop to 30.1% on hard hit fly balls. Um, you know, he did hit more fly balls generally to the opposite field, which given the ball and what happened to the ball, you know, shouldn't impact. He didn't pull all that many, only 19.3% of his fly balls were pulled, which is relatively consistent with what he's doing throughout his career. So, I mean, it could be a variety of different things. It could be the new Camden dimensions. It could be that, you know, a lot of his power, a lot of his barrels are probably coming to center in oppo. And so he's hit particularly hard by that. So the question you have to ask is, Given all that, is he, well, can he hit the same barrel rate as he did last year, right? 15% is, is really high. Um, and then, you know, of those, of those barrels that he hits, like is 22 out of 61, is that a reasonable expectation given that batted ball profile? I honestly don't know what the answer to that is. I mean, one thing that we could do, let's look up his baseball as a bomb page and just, again, it's not a, it's not a perfect um, way to do it, but we can look at like what his expected home runs were in different ballparks. Um, yeah, I'm pretty I know sure we're going it's a lot deeper more. than. Yeah. Let's see. Let's see what we got, man. This is just keeping everybody on the edge of their seat right now. Hey, I enjoy breaking Google. this down though, because it's. I know we're not the only ones with these. You know, well, I do too, because yeah. I haven't broken it down this deep yeah. before. You know, so maybe I maybe I shouldn't be as into him as I am or whatever. Um, well, I guess okay. I'm trying to like tell myself not to be that into him. That's why I'm asking the questions. <laughs> yeah. Expected home runs. So in Baltimore, 23. And then the most would have been Cincinnati at 40. <laughs> throw, throw the man in great america small park Good right lord but Good i mean lord. it's huge right i mean it's huge <laughs> but then you look at like detroit right like that's one of the things like right like some of these detroit hitters i'm like ah. you know like i'm not really that into them just because like i know the dimensions are changing but god it's such a dead zone 
right? He would have had 20 home runs out of his 61 barrels if he was playing in Detroit, right? So I think on average, it's probably in the high 20s for him. Yeah. Um, You know, but it ranges from 20. Like, and then you look at Vinny P, right? It would have been 22 for Mountcastle and KC, you know? So again, you know, like, it's just one of those, it's just one of those things, you know? Um, and again, it's not a, it's not a perfect way to look at it because I don't think those are, these aren't perfect, but it could be a way for us to maybe see what the changes might look like. And maybe it was just a product entirely of that ballpark. Um, but I, I, I struggle to see him getting the same number of barrels next year and hitting the ball with the same type of consistency and still getting that low. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Vinny P it's like at Casey, he had 10. If he was at Great American Small Park, he'd be at 21. <laughs> that ballpark is ridiculous. And he only had 20 <laughs> barrels. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, oh, man. you can see, yeah, you can see, you can see, you can see. Oh, yeah, that's pretty wild stuff. Um, yeah, I, think I, mean, I, I mean, let's, yeah. I think I lean Mountcastle with you, but I like Andrew Vaughn a lot. I'm going to say that much. I think he's, I think the hype is real with Mr. Andrew Vaughn. I think it's it's very, very, very intriguing in that regard. Um, uh, I just want to look up one other guy. I want to look okay. up one other guy. So we're we looking up. We're looking up Abreu. So if oh, Abreu yeah. had played all his games, man, the AL Central is just a dead zone for homers. Oh yeah, it's, it's just the, a it's dead why, zone probably, for homers. We love the pitcher so much, but now with the unbalanced schedule or whatever, I'm, things. I'm just I'm changing, I'm changing up my entire draft approach here. Uh, he he would have had 19 home runs if all of his his homers were hit at. Um, whatever Comiskey Park is is called um, now, uh, Cellular Global 7 or something. <laughs> um, you know, he would have had 19, but, and if he was in Houston, he would have had 22 last year as opposed to the 15, you know. So again, these aren't perfect. If he was in Great American Small Park, he would have had 28. Oh my God. Yeah, that um, ballpark is ridiculous. Yeah, it's, ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Tyler Stevenson, baby. Tyler Stevenson. Yep. Hey. Get on board. There we go. All right, we'll do one more here. Let's do another first base. Let's do Anthony Rizzo versus Rowdy Telez. This is uh, we talked about Rowdy earlier, so might as well end with Rowdy here. Rizzo at one fifty three, Rowdy at one fifty five. You know, Rizzo going back to the Bronx. We saw what he did with the short porch. He loved it last year. I don't think he'll hit for that low of an average again. I think he's a little better than that. Where you have uh, Telez, who his numbers were ridiculous last year, kind of got screwed over a bit, like unlucky at times. Uh, I think it's a 30. And one thing about Telez I love, they played him a ton, even versus lefties. That was very promising. So I'll just get it out of the way. I go Rowdy Telez on this one, but both very good. I don't mind having both if I had to. So what do you look at in this range? Yeah, well, the spreadsheet says, uh, spreadsheet says Telez, but only by four, four, rank, four point spots in the ranking. Uh, Telez is 103rd and, and, um, Rizzo is 107th in this. Um, and I think, um, you know, you, you mentioned like the short porch is perfect for Rizzo, you know, the home run totals, I think, you know, will be there. Um, he's incredibly consistent. You could see the batting average improving, you know, given the, the changes to the shift and, and him being shifted, you know, incredibly. I mean, he's one of the few guys that just pulls everything, you know, last year, 48% of his batted balls were pulled. So he's just pulling everything. And so you can see where he's going to benefit there. And he's not hurt as much by the dead and ball because he doesn't need to, he doesn't need to pull, he doesn't need to hit at that, you know, 
that well to pull it right down the line um, for a homer. He only had, he had 40 barrels <coughs> for those 32 homers last year. Um, so yeah, so, so you can kind of see that, but then again, like he has not been able to play that consistently, you know, he hasn't gone over 600 plate appearances since 2019. You know, he is kind of older. Um, let me get rowdy up here. Um, rowdy, you know, again, similar profiles in the sense that they both benefit from, probably the elimination of the shift. We don't know how that's going to play out, but um, if it plays out like they are intending it, then we could certainly see that happening. You know, Rowdy's got that pop. You know, he had 53 barrels last year, uh, really high max EV at 116.9, you know, not striking out a lot. So putting the ball in play uh, at a good clip, the 215 Babbitt really hurt him a lot, but still managed a 219 batting average with that because of the home runs. The home run per fly ball actually wasn't that outrageous, you know, at 18.7% for a guy like him. Uh, contact's good. O-swing's good. You know, just we're looking really, really solid there. And it doesn't really get platoon now, you know, like he's playing every single day. Um, so that's why I go with Rowdy. I think I, I trust, you know, playing time a little bit more. I'm um, him hitting a higher echelon of playing time. I think the power is a little bit better. I think they have similar batting average concerns that should be ameliorated slightly by, by the change in the shift. So, um, yeah, I would lean yep. rowdy. I think I'm you would you. too. Yep. I'm, I'm Mr. Rowdy rowdy too. So we're good on that one. Let's talk targets here. We'll do first base. Then we'll do third base real quick on this one. Uh, ADP 11 through 20 at first base is Christian Walker, Andrew Vaughn, Mount Castle, Rizzo, Telez, Miranda, Josh Bell, Ty France, Brandon Drury, and Jake Cronenworth. I know Toby likes a lot of these guys. So what do you like in this one? Yeah. I mean, I like pretty much all of them. <laughs> um, you know, I, I mentioned Vinny and, and my list is a little, is slightly different here. I should, I should, I should get it up um, here. I'm just looking at my spreadsheet and, and it doesn't have like the dual position guys, you know, eligible in both. Um Here, all right. Um, yeah, I, I like Walker a lot. I think he's legit. Crone, I have a little bit of concerns. Durability has always been an issue for Crone, and this is also, you know, his his year two of a two year contract. I think with Colorado, so yep. you could see them trading him at some point in time, and I think that would really, you know, negatively impact his, um, you know, his value. Again, I mean, like everybody, you look at his cores versus non core splits. And then I think, um, you know, one of the major pieces is, is the playing time. If you look at prior to last season for Crone, um, let me just pull this up. Sorry, my throat, I've got a little bit of a cough. So I had to get out a, a cough drop, which I know is not the ideal podcasting um, way, but we, we do what, what we can. So, you know, before last year was the first time he's hit 600 plate appearances in his career. He was at 547 the year before, 499, 560. But I don't know. You know, maybe I I shouldn't be as as down on him. But I really haven't been interested at him just because there's so many good guys going in that in that area. Talked about Vaughn. Talked about Rizzo. Talked about Mountcastle. Talked about Tellez. Don't not not really interested in Miranda at all. Uh, I like Josh Bell. He shows up well. So does France. 
not that into Jake Cronenworth, but I think where he's going, he's fine. He's actually a value um, at, at ADP of 202. Uh, Arise also shows up as a value again. Without the home runs and speed, I think it's it's tough to go with him. But again, we said that last year, and look what he did. So, yeah. Yeah, for me, it's Walker. Um, Vaughn's very much in place. Uh, Rizzo, Telez. Telez, that's one of my favorite targets in this range by far. Um, I'm with you. I'm out on Miranda as well. I've had, I have a bet with uh, David Mendelson about home runs on Miranda. Uh, Josh Bell. I like Cronenworth more for second base than first, obviously, but I agree with the price tag there. I keep finding myself landing on Brandon Drury, and I really need to stop because I'm starting to get worried about playing time. The more I start looking at Angel stuff there, the eligibility is nice, but uh, I'm getting a little little worried about how that playing time is going to pan out. Then again, all it takes is an injury or two, and Drury's playing all the time again. So we'll see how that goes. But it's the main suspects in there, especially Telez is my number one go-to in that range. Uh, 21 through 30, got Joey Manessis, Luis Arise, Josh Naylor, Seth Brown, Miguel Vargas, Will Myers, Tristan Casas, DJ LeMahieu, though the mighty has fallen, Trey Mancini, and Spencer Torkelson rounds out 21 through 30. Who do you like in this range? Yeah, I mean, in this range, I'm not really into Manesis. Uh, Drury, I have not gotten him. I can see interest with the the multi-position and, you know, the Angels offense looks really good. Uh, playing time. Yeah. Like you mentioned a little bit of a question mark, but if he can hit, I think he plays, uh, love Naylor, uh, really love Vargas. Hope that injury isn't, you know, serious. It, it, um, you know, you, you never know. It, it's not a good way to start spring training, but he's super interesting. Uh, Seth Brown, like, mm. When I look at him, I'm like, man, the dude mashed and stole and did everything well, but clearly going to be platooned and probably true. Yeah, God, the A's are just so bad. Like maybe he gets traded and he doesn't have to platoon. He is crap against lefties. So, yeah. but I could definitely see the value in somebody like him and just having him, him thrown him in against righties. Um, Myers is interesting in Cincinnati as long as he can stay healthy. We saw what 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 Cincinnati can do for home run numbers. Cool. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, cost is intriguing. Like I haven't really been that into him. You know, the spreadsheet isn't that into him, but you know, you could see it. You could definitely see it. Um, you know, he, he looks so good as a minor league player and just the approach. And even last year he got really unlucky. So you could see him being really successful there. LeMahieu the same. I think there's some questions about playing time and how they kind of shift him around a little bit. But um, if he plays like he can, then he'll play and, and he looks pretty good there. Uh, Mancini. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe, I don't know. It's tough to get there for me. Um, on him. I, I just haven't been thinking about it. like playing time questions, power questions, some of that stuff. Torkelson, not really interested. So, yeah. Yeah. I'm not as big a fan of this range. Josh Naylor. I love him with you. I've always been a Naylor fan and he still does not go high enough in my imagination. So I'm, I'm a Naylor guy. Vargas, when he was rumored to play every day, I was in this fractured finger. Makes me have to sit and wait a second now. So that'll be interesting. Big Will Myers fan. Uh, I'll still go in on Trey Boo Boo just on the price. I think he's going to play a ton for the Cubs at DH and whatnot. They want him out there. Um, hopefully he can get back to his, his Trey Boo Boo ways. We'll see. But the price is enticing at 263. So I'll throw it out there. You mentioned Tristan Cassis. He's He is interesting. I don't know what to do with him because – they haven't really seen it enough yet, but you know the dude can hit. There's no doubt in that. Uh, 
if he can figure it out quickly in Boston, he becomes a heck of a heck of a situation there if it all pans out. Uh, going to third base real quick, we got Matt Chapman, Miranda, Hayes, Baum, Drury, McMahon, Rojas, Young, Kim, and Walker, 11 through 20. A lot different than first base when we talk talent at the position, 11 through 20, Toby. So what do you like here? Um. All right. 11 through 20. Cabrian, uh, Bohm. McMahon, Drury, same questions. Walker, you mentioned, is interesting. Um, you know, if if it, you know, as we get closer, if it looks like he's going to make the squad. I mean, definitely an interesting player. Let's see what that. You know, I actually haven't haven't I haven't done the research on Walker to see what the projections say about him, just because the playing time is so low um, for him. Um. So projections have him about 245 to 250 batting average, 10 and 8 over 250 plate appearances. So yeah, that that'll play if he if he's up there um to begin with. I, I don't know if that's gonna happen though. Um I see I have a hard time seeing that um seeing that taking place. Uh Jung, not really interested in him. Kim, I can see the interest. Wow, uh, somebody drafted drafted Hassan Kim as number 82. Yeah, someone got a little crazy on that one, it looks like. Yeah, got a little wild. There. I think that might have been a misclick. Yeah. Throw it out there. Um, Hassan Kim. Yeah, he's interesting with the dual position. I think he's going to uh, – will he have triple? He Is might he gain second base. I can't he remember. He might gain second base also. Yeah, he's going to be yeah. all over the place. Yeah, so he's interesting. I mean – yeah, he's interesting. Rojas is interesting as well. I mean, the challenge with him is just the the platoon, the platooning. But he's a ten he's a ten twenty guy, um, you know. And and then when I look at kind of the spreadsheet, yeah, it really doesn't like Jung. Um, it doesn't have it doesn't have Kim here, but yeah, yeah. I think that's kind of how I feel about those guys. Yeah, it's an interesting round. Like, I don't mind Chapman if you're looking for a late power dart. It's not late, but late at third base, kind of. Uh, I'm growing more into Hayes. I'm getting more interested in Hayes again, which I say every year, and then it backfires every year. But to get a guy with that kind of steals upside late, and if he ever can crack into that power, because the hard hit rates are ridiculous. So Hayes is enticing at that ADP of like 176. You mentioned Drury. Love Ryan McMahon. Always love Ryan McMahon. So I have no problem with him at a post 200 ADP. I'm interested in Josh Young if you want to take the chance on him just because of the pedigree we've talked about, but it's still a little sketch in my regard. So I pretty much like the top part of this third base realm. The other darts I like come in the next grouping. So I'm not into the other ones, but Kim is interesting because he's going to start the season second base, like you mentioned. So you get second, short, and third. That's got a little legs to it, but then I'm worried when Tatis comes back, does that move Cronenworth back to second? And like, there's a lot of moving parts in that scenario. So not sure how long he'll be there. Just, just become a super utility guy. How does that play with Kim? Questions to be determined. 21 through 30, you got Justin Turner, Rendon, Luis Urias, DJ LeMahieu, Yandy Diaz, Yohan Moncada, John Birdie, Ringifo, Brendan Donovan, and Isak Paredes. I actually like, I think, a few more guys here than I did in the first one. Yeah, same. I mean, uh, Turner, I think, plays as a nice little value here, batting average guy later on. Rendon, if he's healthy, obviously we know what he can do. That's a huge question mark. 
Urias, I like as well. The triple position eligibility, obviously you're probably not, maybe you have him at third base, maybe second base. Um, but I think as long as he plays, you know, I think he plays well. He's got a little bit of sneaky pop there. Um, DG, DJ LeMay, we talked about before. Yandy plays as a really strong value, as does Mankata as well. Um, you know, not really interested in Donovan or Birdie or Paredes, really. I know, I think you're a fan, and I know some smart yeah. people are, are fans, but um, not that, uh, not that um, into him and bring Hifo. I'm not really interested in either. So, yeah. Yeah, I like Justin Turner a lot. I still expect that ADP to climb some more. We'll see. It hasn't climbed as much as I expected by now. So I'm a big fan of what he can bring later in drafts to kind of balance out your roster. If you don't ever stay healthy, he'd be great. He's showed up on a few stat boards where I'm just like, wow, if you just – come on, man. Keep it together. That'd be nice. Um, Yohan Mankata, I'm starting to get back in on again if he can be healthy at this ADP. As I want to clarify it is very interesting. It's like the Grandall theory, basically, with Moncada at third base of this ADP. Don't mind him as a late dart. And I do like Isak Paredes. The eligibility first, second, third is great. The power is pretty darn legit as well. So I'm a, I'm a fan of taking him as a late dart at the position also. So some interesting upside plays for me, like between uh, Paredes, Moncada back here. Even when Devil Knight calls because of the health concerns. Love Justin Turner. Justin Turner is a, a big-time target this late in the drafts for me all right got a couple listener questions here toby one in the youtube chat here from jimmy d he asked what has happened to Pavin smith well i had a d-backs podcast on monday and he was injured almost all of last year that's what happened to Pavin smith he played 17 games last year so he was injured and he's back in competition to potentially platoon in the outfield this year that's what's going on with Pavin smith if you're curious did you have anything else to add on Pavin smith toby I don't think so. I'm, I once loved Paven Smith. So so did I. He's, he's broken hearts, that's for sure. Um, SGFC says, favorite post 680p dart. Any position, it sounds like. What What is it? Post favorite what? Post ADP 600. So post round 40, basically. ADP dart. That's you like. So I'm loading up the entire pool right now on ADP and I'm scrolling and scrolling to 600. Uh, I'm just going to pick out a third base. There you go. Or first base. Yeah. It's uh it's messy, but that's what you expect post 600. I'll say that much. So I'm scrolling. If you find one, you like go for it, but it's uh God, I'm, I'm back here. I, I, <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's not great. I have no idea what I'm doing at this point in my 50-team draft and hold up, Mike. I don't mind Dylan Coleman as a save spec. I'll say that much. Dylan Coleman, if they trade Barlow and uh, Chapman stinks, Coleman's the dude. Chase Silseth is another one. If you're going to get kind of spec world back here, other than that, man, ain't a whole lot I'm in love with back here. Like at first glance, like Griffin Jacks. Griffin Jacks is one I like a lot. That'd be my guy right there. Griffin Jacks. That's who I'd recommend. Yeah. Um, I'll tell you who I'm going to draft, right? Who I'm drafting next. Who knows? There's a few people before me, so maybe they'll they'll draft him instead. Um, I think I'm going to draft Derek Hall. He kind of aligns with uh, He kind of aligns with that. He's util only, but, you know, I saw a note about how they're going to start him at 
you're moving him around the field a little bit, trying to get him some play in outfield or not. Um, you know, he's projected to be in the lineup, you know, on roster resource at least. Right. And then if you look at, um, Derek Hall's numbers from last year, were just pretty, pretty great. I mean, like you look at it and you're like, Oh my God, he had a 31% strikeout rate. You know, he probably can't hit the ball, but no, his contact rates are at around 70%, you know, so much should be much lower. He had 16 barrels, you know, 17.4% barrel rate, 113 max EV. Um, you know, the batting average isn't going to be great, but if you're looking for a late, late spec on some power who with enough plate appearances could, could really do some damage. I think Derek Hall is, is kind of interesting and he's, he's not, he doesn't have first base eligibility now, but I think that's what he played in the minors. So we played that in the minors. He's supposed to basically DH why Harper's out. So he'll have that. If he keeps hitting, they'll find a spot for him, obviously. So, um, yeah, I like that call a lot. I, I remember picking him up in Fab last year, and he was just crushing bombs. So Believe it or not, Bubba, but I had him in a dynasty league a couple years ago, and then I dropped him. I was they had. You said had, so I was wondering where that was going. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. <laughs> he looked really good, but you never know. Is it Redding? Because Redding's yes. like a, a launch so. pad, apparently. So. Yeah, there's already been clips out though. He's done live BP back to back days. He's just crushing bombs off of the live BP pitchers, given they're not aces, but he's just destroying baseballs, I guess. So that's what he does strikes out, hits bombs. That's the Derek sure. Hallway. Um, any final thoughts as we wrap up catcher and corner infield a review of the preview? No, I think um I think we talked touched on it. Like there's I think there's some really good uh potential values out there. I think there's a lot of different ways to go. There's a lot of different profiles. I mean, we didn't talk about it that that much but i think there's a lot of different ways that we um that you can kind of go with these positions and so i'm comfortable kind of waiting comfortable on getting some early guys i got bregman in my current draft right now so yeah yeah definitely some uh good ways to go about it i'm with you that uh especially like we talked about first base the whole you know pete alonzo situation and what to do what not to do what you can do same relies at third base as he's like, you can do the Machados of the world. Like J Ram's on his own world. You take J Ram. If you can get J Ram, just do it. But after that, it's like, do you go Riley? Do you go Machado? Do you go Devers? Do you wait? There's definitely ways to go about it and, and figure it out. So it makes it fun. It's not like a steadfast way you have to do it as you might feel you have to at other positions and catchers just catcher. So yeah, lots of fun there. But we'll, we'll be back with you guys next week with another review of the middle infield and whatnot there. And we'll get you going Closer and closer to March for your big draft season. Make sure you follow Toby on the Twitter there at BatFlipCrazy. I'm at BD Intrick, and this is Bubba and a Batflip, episode 148. Catch you guys next time. Yeah.